Well, hi there, and welcome to this, our first webinar of Memories 2018 Smart Building Series. And obviously, a happy new year to everybody out there. Best wishes for, for 2018. Uh, we're going to be, as always, doing a webinar every month and hopefully bringing you some really interesting smart building uh, content over the next 12 months. So looking forward to that. Um, of course, as ever, um, we uh, publish all of this content um, after the webinar. So you can now find us on iTunes and also SoundCloud. If you just search for Smart Building Series, you'll find us there. Uh, and I think you can also subscribe uh, in YouTube now. So we started a YouTube channel. We'll be posting uh, the audio and the video there. So, so keep, keep out for that. There'll be a link on our website. And we'll include not just the slides, but also some of the links um, to, to what we talk about today. So uh, without further ado, let's, let's get on with um, what we're discussing today. And uh, we are talking about reinventing DDC in the age of data analytics. So as computing in edge devices becomes more powerful, do we need to rethink the DDC to become more data centric? Uh, not just able to perform analytics, but also connected to the cloud and uh, all that without any gateway hardware. Uh, and I'm joined today by uh, three guys who are, are going to help me uh, discuss and go through that issue. So we have Jim Lee from Symmetrics, Anto Pedrajo from Anchor Labs, and also Alpa Uzmezla from Anchor Labs. And I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves in one second. But before I do, uh, we want to obviously get collaboration from everybody listening. So if you do have questions for myself or obviously the guys on this, um, then please type them in. Um, if you type them in, I will get the questions here. And then um, once we've gone through the presentation, then we can, we can start a discussion. And I'll put those questions um, uh, to the guys in the order that I get them. So let's get going. Um, maybe you can start with you, Anto. Do you want to um, introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Anto Budierjo. I'm CEO of uh, Anchor Labs. I've been in the BAS industry for about 30 years. Started uh, in the UK with uh, uh, a product back in the late 80s um, and uh, have seen uh, the evolution of the, the industry over those years has been quite interesting. So glad to be here. Hi, my name is Jim Lee. I'm uh, president of Symmetrics. I've been in the industry also for about 30 years. Uh, Symmetrics is now uh, 29 years old. Uh, we are primarily involved with uh, BACnet, creating the underlying protocol stacks uh, and tools to help the industry uh, communicate uh, using open systems. And in uh, 1998, we started to get into the building analytics business, which now accounts for most of our revenue. Hello, my name is Alperes Masler. I'm the CTO of Anka Labs. Uh, I've been in the industry for 17 years, so I'm considered a newbie. And um, uh, yeah. Okay, so, so uh, if my maths is right, that's what seventy-seven years of experience. There you go. So yeah, I think you we're well qualified to answer questions. Okay, so <laughs> we we are actually here together, the the three of us. Um, we happen to be at uh, the AHR Expo uh, in Chicago, where it's snowing and very cold. Um, 
but before we do that, just sort of give a brief agenda of uh, what we're going to talk about um, in the next hour. Uh, I'll make some comments about AHR. Uh, Jim Lee will make some comments about the New Deal, um, which is an ish initiative that we'll explain. I'll talk a little bit of sort of a high-level picture on uh, this concept of the edge. Um, and Alpa will talk about really how we think the DDC should be reimagined. Re and this should leave uh, quite a bit of time for Q&A that uh, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll get a, a number of questions. So AHR, uh, for those who are not aware of the, the event, it's uh, the largest um, uh, um, heating uh, and refrigeration um, uh, trade show convention. Uh, this year, the, um, the organizers claimed 70,000 visitors, which is pretty large. It's, uh, it's packed. Um, most of the products on the floor were obviously mechanical products, um, so it's not directly relevant to our um, um, sort of focus on automation and systems. Um, but they, they, there's uh, you know, a material and significant amount of um, uh, BAS uh, um, on the floor, as well as uh, in a lot of the education programs. The education uh, program at the AHR has actually evolved over the past few years to be quite solid, um, quite a lot of um, a really interesting discussion. And if I were to um, sum up a sort of a takeaway from this year's show, uh, is really a discussion about data and uh, this sort of concept that the data is uh, the new gold. Data is more valuable than the hardware that, um, that uh, exists, that, that, that creates the data. Um, so that's actually a very interesting um, way of actually looking at it. And it's uh, from a building automation perspective, um, that's really good because it really focuses the attention on, on we're do what we are all doing in the BAS uh, space. So that's my little uh, sort of uh, feedback on um, AHR. Uh, one of the things that happened at uh, AHR this year is the uh, uh, announcement and launch of a a thing called the New Deal, and I'm going to let uh, Jim Lee explain what it's all about. Great. Thanks very much, Anto. So uh, the New Deal, if you really look at our industry and where we've been over the past 30 years in direct digital controls, uh, big data, uh, building energy management systems, analytics, one uh, quickly realizes that we're in the infancy of this industry. One of the problems we find is that there's very slow adoption of these technologies. There are marvelous technologies out there with very sound value propositions, and the adoption is still relatively low. And there are many people in the industry, many consulting groups, many uh, talking heads, trying to analyze why the adoption of these technologies is so slow when, in fact, the economics are tremendously compelling. And what we find is that if we go back to first principles and imagine uh, how buildings are actually built, uh, what's the business process involved? For instance, the, uh, the uh, Construction Specification Institute standards, how buildings are bid, what the interests of those parties are. We get into a whole realm of business models and an interesting area uh, that technologists don't often interface with or meet with. And we believe that those fundamental problems about disconnects between the groups that build buildings and the groups that operate buildings, uh, both financially and contractually, uh, have contributed to slow adoption of these technologies. 
So fundamentally, uh, a number of us were talking over the last few years, and we couldn't find a forum in the industry where we could have this cross-dialogue about business issues. There were plenty of forums to talk about technology issues, uh, but we really couldn't find a great place to talk about business issues. So we started one, and it's called A New Deal. And the idea is to generate a new deal in the business understanding between owners and uh, vendors and service suppliers in the buildings industry. So if you, if you look at that, we've decided to frame the major tenets of the new deal in terms of open standards, uh, digital twins, and fundamentally service transparency, uh, which we think is the most important. So just taking those things in sequence, uh, if you look at open standards, I've spent most of my uh, career on open standards in the industry. Uh, and like the internet, open standards are really a way to break existing business models, but also create a normalization of data. So if we can all call a voltage, a temperature, a pressure, an amp the same way, and understand the same default behaviors of systems, then we can all liberate value from the data that's out there. So the open standards movement is broad and has uh, many, many powerful attributes. Uh, the next thing is a digital twin, which is that if I really want to analyze that data, uh, I could just statistically analyze it, take large amounts of big data and use data mining tools to go through it. Uh, but that's a little silly because we actually already have a clear perspective of what these control systems do. And that allows us to build a physical model, a model of the physics, if you will, of that system. And if we build that in the cloud, we can then take real-time data that we collect from sensors and actuators and from the Internet of Things at large and bounce that against that digital model uh, in, a, in a building emulation process and, uh, and therefore uh, use that physical knowledge and how the equipment uh, operates uh, unilaterally as well as how that equipment behaves in a system, so systemic behavior. We can analyze that and do interesting things like fault detection, diagnostics, etc. But now getting to the, uh, the third tenet, service transparency. Uh, if you look at Uber, you know, we've all taken cabs, and I think many people have made the transition to services like Uber or Lyft. But it's really knowing when the vehicle is going to arrive, knowing the route you're going to take. These are things that uh, really change the game in its entirety. If you look at the building automation business and look at things like uh, variable air volume boxes or unitary control units, there's no possible way that building owners today have transparency into whether those systems are working or not. They're 100% reliant on vendors uh, who often uh, don't have the tools or the capability to even understand the systems themselves. So by, by using digital technology, analytics, uh, to analyze that data, we can change the entire game and effectively Uberize the building by providing not just the building owner, but all of those constituents with the information they need to change the game. And it's this transparency that really 
allows the New Deal to flourish. Now, a few more comments here. The industry is at a tipping point because the business models of the industry have been primarily predicated on hardware sales. Uh, and even if we look at the system business, it's largely been a hardware paradigm. That hardware has commoditized. And within five years or so, the industry has to make a transition to where there are funding sources for system integration and uh, IT-like uh, problems. That's the world we're heading into. So as we synchromesh the New Deal, open standards, digital twin, and service transparency, uh, we're going to arrive at these new models, whether we like it or not. Next slide, please. So we've, a number of us have been working on this uh, for some time. I invited uh, uh, my competitors, my friends in the industry to get involved. We all got on together uh, under the auspices of the Continental Automatic, uh, Automated Buildings Association and uh, just produced a, uh, a beautiful white paper, which is now available, uh, which uh, codifies a number of these ideas and, and lays them out. So I would encourage you to uh, uh, pull up that white paper and uh, see what it's about. Next slide. And finally, uh, for those of you who have opinions, we have started uh, an open blog, which we call the uh, New Deal blog. And we have a series of articles from uh, many people and many different perspectives in the industry uh, on analytics, on business models, uh, on transparency. And uh, we would welcome submissions uh, to that blog. And uh, one can uh, contact Anto Budargio uh, regarding uh, regarding that, there are links on the blog to that. Uh, I think that concludes my yeah. remarks. Thank and you. we'll um, we'll put some links to to those things on the uh, on the show notes as well. Great, thanks so much. So moving on to uh, you know how how this happens, and one one of the words that uh, gets talked about a lot um, these days in the context of where BAS is headed is the edge. Um, and uh, so a lot of people say, what is the edge? I mean, this is kind of a uh, network term. So I, I had an opportunity of uh, presenting um, some slides on Monday at a, a session that was led by Ken Sinclair from Automated Buildings, control, uh, automatedbuildings.com. And uh, this is what uh, the slides were. And, and I, I sort of want to start going back to the to 1980s. Um, you know, these are kind of the the, the albums we were listening to on vinyl. Uh, those were the good old days of the work. Um, and, but if you think about the sort of architecture, the sort of network architecture that we were, uh, uh, we had back then in that era in the 1980s, they kind of typically looked like this. They were very complicated. There were different types of servers on, on, uh, in different areas in, in your office, in, in different other um, sort of circumstances. There were different um, network protocols, X25. There were different um, uh, network connectors like Token Ring, for example, that don't exist anymore. So the, 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 the point here is that this is, these, these were really quite complex and in many ways convoluted uh, network architectures. And this was the, day of, uh, the days of very simplified uh, personal computers the Commodore PET at the top there uh, was the very first um, computer that I bought in 1980. 
it was great, it was fun, um, and um, that was a, a great start. And the point here is that the, the typical architecture that we today still use for uh, VAS control for DDCs is actually not too different from what you're seeing here, right? And that's because the DDC evolved through the 80s and the early 90s, becoming more networked and becoming starting to uh, provide value. Right, so that's great. That's that's uh, brought us to where we are now. But let's look at um, how we live today in comparison to how we lived back in the 80s. We don't. Most most of us anyway don't uh, listen to albums on, on certainly not on vinyls, and today we we do everything pretty much online. Right? We use Spotify, Pandora, iTunes, um, and other um, streaming services that's available uh, around the world. And when you uh, look at the the network architecture of today, essentially you have this three-level architecture. You have these devices that we have on our desks or on our laps or in our uh, pockets um, that all essentially talk to the network. And the network could be all sorts of different networks, whether it's uh, 4G, LTE, um, um, Wi-Fi connected uh, Ethernet or you know satellite even you know it, it really doesn't matter right the, the the point is that the network is there to connect these the, these devices to the cloud right and it's in the cloud that you have everything from um, your email your storage for example Dropbox and obviously our social life is on Facebook these days right and essentially these devices at the bottom is the edge of this particular network. Right? So we as human beings, as, as consumers, we are the edge in the context of uh, our, how we use uh, technology today. Okay? And the, the interesting thing is that the edge, you know, there's a lot of discussion about whether it's better to, to be in the cloud or on the edge. Um, my view is that there is, you can't make that distinction because uh, our life has actually spread between the edge and the cloud. Right? You, you uh, pull up your um, smartphone, you probably have uh, you know, 100 or 200 or several hundred um, pictures that you've taken over the past months and years on the phone, and yet thousands more may actually exist on, on the cloud. Right? And the, the two sort of work hand in hand, uh, given the, the resource uh, availabilities and the sort of uh, type of usage that you actually need. Right? So that's kind of how we've evolved. Right? And so the, the point here is that, why should BAS be any different? And our sort of philosophy is that it shouldn't. Right? DDCs um, that uh, typically uh, have the sort of typical architecture before of what I was showing you in the, in the 80s, really should uh, exist as edge devices on a network similar to the network we use in our daily lives. Right? So whether it's a controller or a VAV or thermostats or a panel or a bigger um, programmable controller, those should really just connect to the network and it really doesn't matter what that network is. I mean, obviously for a particular project it matters, it needs to work, but from a conceptual, from an architectural perspective, it doesn't matter. And they all really will connect to um, services and applications in the cloud. And um, uh, users will typically be um, interfacing or interacting uh, using browsers to these services, right? So the, these edge devices 
are the devices that will perform controls, as in DDC controls. Um, they will perform analytics, either on the edge or uh, provide data for analytics to be in the cloud. And they'll also perform any applications, obviously, to, that's necessary to make the, the system work. So that's really how we see what the edge is. And this was actually a very um, uh, a vibrant um, session on Monday, a lot of discussion about this. And, and obviously, other speakers had um, uh, comments that were you know, pretty much in line with, with uh, where we headed. So that's what the edge is, as uh, the, the way we see it. Like to move on now to how we we think we can uh, reimagine the DDC, and I'm going to hand over to Alpa for this. Hello. Um, within the Anka Labs, what we are doing is we are creating an Anka device operating system, and um, the, the the device operating system consists of multiple open source technologies, and I would like to explain you those. Um, one of the applications that we are using is Sedona Framework. Uh, 3DM actually made this open source uh, and after they tackled the gateway problem. And in order to make the DDC systems compatible and portable between manufacturers, uh, they wrote a Sedona Framework. And they actually hired someone from an industrial uh, design. Uh, and where they had actually tackled the problem of compatibility of uh, applications in between manufacturers. Um, so we are utilizing that. It's well written and it is um, proven technology within the industry used around uh, seven different manufacturers throughout the world. Maybe it's a little bit more than that. The next technology we are using is Project Haystack. It's open sourced. Um, taxonomy standardization. It has multiple parts within the uh, application stack. One of them is uh, a file standard format called Zinc. The, the, within the Zinc file, we design the tags for normalizing the data, wherever it is coming from. We are utilizing this system uh, within the, within the uh, architecture for abstracting the data that comes from the uh, controller devices. Within the project A stack, it not only has a taxonomy, it has a standardization for REST API operations, REST API calls, uh, and it is within the project A stack, those are called ops. We, by doing this, we are basically uh, abstracting the data for uh, the control logic within the application. Right on top of that, we have SkySpark uh, for doing data analytics. And um, then we have Visualitik, which gets the data from Project Haystack standard model as well for visualization. Within the application, we have a, a, a reference model controllers. Uh, we have analytics engine, and we, we are also working on an app store where we can actually share apps and configurations. The current system architecture is basically um, consists of microcontrollers at the all the way to the edge. Then we have a gateway devices. These are microprocessors, and they have some uh, memory um, and and uh, disk space. 
to store historical data, trends, and alarms. Uh, these are usually installed on, um, for larger buildings. You would have either Perfor, one of these gateways, and then those get connected through Ethernet to a supervisory level application. Within our model, um, on the edge device, we do have a micro microprocessors within the edge devices, and the whole stack lives within every device. This simplifies, um, it, it basically um, gets our um, architecture level in a single level where we can send data in between devices easily, and we can also send data northbound to cloud or internal cloud services. And all the applications live within the edge devices. Also, um, there will be a transition time for us to go into these buildings is uh, for retrofits. So an edge device can replace an air handling unit controller with a microcontroller, from a microcontroller micro, micro to a microprocessor, where we can link the VAVs that it is serving through um, means of other protocols uh, like BACnet. This would give us more um, trending capability, analytics capability, and also we could um, correct the behavior of the air handling unit runtime or others. You could also use these devices just as gateways as well. It doesn't stop you from doing that. Uh, the future of fog. Um, fog is basically putting the compute power all the way to the edge uh, within the next five to 10 years, we will see uh, a lot of sensors, a lot of devices that have compute um, capability right at the edge. And we, we are basically thinking about how we would pass the data between them and how we would execute those compute processes in the edge. Um, actually, our stack is um, capable of enabling the fog in the future um, by utilizing other wireless technologies. So an, another way to look at this, this sort of uh, progression of how DDC is evolving into what we what we at the Anchor Labs are calling edge analytics controllers is the economics of it. Um, but as uh, Jim Lee said earlier, it's, it's not just about technology, it's about the business side of it. How, how can we actually make this whole process of um, um, delivering data and the, the, the things that needs to be done to deliver data much more efficient for all parties. And one of the ways of doing it, one of the ways of looking at that is looking at the labor cost. And specifically in this case, we're looking at the engineering cost, the labor engineering cost um, for a, a typical um, building automation system that goes all the way up to the cloud. And today, essentially, this, this uh, list of 10 things are the sort of the, the list of the things that somebody has to do at some point uh, to, uh, to engineer or to configure, to install um, the system. So number one is somebody has to set up the, the DDC and serial network, and then they have to program it, and then the same goes to the gateway, uh, and then uh, there may be a, a configuration and, and uh, activity to install any uh, supervisory um, uh, PC or database on, on site, and then uh, tagging needs to be done, and then it all goes up to the cloud. 
uh, where analytics is done, right? That's a lot of steps, and it's typically done by different people, uh, which uh, provides its own challenges, and it's also uh, another level of challenge is that uh, these, these steps are typically done using different tools, because a lot of the, uh, the, the products or services that's being used are coming from different um, uh, vendors. Right, so our view of how we can uh, we, we should really be thinking about simplifying this whole process, uh, as uh, Alper had mentioned, uh, sort of reduces this pretty significantly. So it reduces it down to essentially three steps uh, to connect the the sort of new class of um, DDC that we call EAC to the internet, uh, obviously using whatever security protocol and uh, criteria that's that's necessary. That's critical and that's very important. The, the, the use of metadata and tags allows um, fundamentally a different way of configuring uh, the, the device itself um, because it actually uses um, tagging and uses metadata to configure the logic, to configure the trending, to configure any analytics and, any, uh, and even any visualization that needs to happen. Right? So that, that happens um, mostly automatically. Uh, I don't Thing. it can happen totally automatically yet um, and uh, it just leaves uh, sort of step number three which is to adjust and sort of customize uh, whatever is need to be done and sort of think about this as um, the, 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 uh, the, the progress that we we have in connecting peripherals to our laptops and our PCs um, 10 20 years ago it was very difficult to connect a, a printer because you have to have drivers and all that kind of stuff and today you plug in a USB and somehow magically you print, right? So all of the configuration is done uh, automatically. And that's done using a similar process, obviously not the same as BAS, um, but it, 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 uh, the, the USB connection and the software on, the, on, the, on the, uh, both the printer and the, um, uh, or the peripheral and the computing device kind of knows what, what it's all about and kind of uh, configures itself. And then we tweak it. Uh, to our needs. Um, and the last point about this is that um, uh, all of this, all these three steps, not a lot of steps in the first place, um, can be done and should be done using an internet browser. So it simplifies not only the actual workload, but the, the tools that's needed. And you know, use, doing, doing things using internet browsers, obviously not new to us as, uh, as, as people, because that's what we do every day. And, and uh, so that's how we uh, see the, uh, the progression of um, the, the DDC. Okay, um, and that's that's really the kind of the conclusion of our uh, prepared uh, remarks. Um, hand it over back to, to Jim, and hopefully we can have some discussion uh, and some Q and A. Over to you, Jim. Yeah, absolutely. Um, please, anybody, if you've got any questions for these guys, then uh, then now's the time. We've got we've got plenty of time to to have a chat, uh, and it's not often you get the opportunity to um, ask people with seventy seven years of experience in the industry. So take the opportunity while you have it. Um, then perhaps we can start by going back to the um, the, the stack uh, slide. I think that's very interesting. That shows. Yeah, here. I mean, maybe you could. Um, I mean, uh, talk a little bit more about about this. I mean, m my understanding is is that your this is an operating system, right? That you are that you want to install on edge devices. What perhaps give us a scenario of like a, a 
specific device that you would in, that someone might install this on? Um, who are they? How 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 would it work? Um, I probably can give two two examples. One is um, just a programmable controller, right? You could you can buy today a programmable DDC um, that from a, a manufacturer that typically have a uh, a proprietary um, logic um, engine and logic um, programming sort of tool, right? So um, that's uh, with. What we see is that um, if that same device were to use AnchorDOS, which is what we're calling this product, um, they will obviously, the user of uh, such a device would obviously need to do the same thing. They would need to program it. But in this case, they'll be programming it using Sedona. So the first thing is Sedona then becomes um, a tool that is common to any product that uses AnchorDOS, uh, as well as products that actually uses just Sedona itself. But because Sedona is um, uh, tightly integrated with Project Haystack, you then get the enormous benefit of uh, the tagging and the, the metadata. Um, you know, that, that could be a, a separate webinar because it would probably take uh, more than just a couple of minutes to see, uh, explain the, how that works. But it's, it's, uh, it's really quite, quite transformational in terms of how um, you can use um, tagging and, and um, uh, metadata to actually program as opposed to uh, hardwiring uh, any, uh, any logic to a specific I.O. We actually sort of um, abstract out the hardware. Um, so uh, then uh, that particular user may also need to do um, some analytics, uh, maybe just a little bit of analytics on that particular application that he is installing the, the controller in. Uh, and that then becomes uh, the the use of the sky the sky spark component of the, the stack that's already there. So you just kind of switch it on. You kind of say, um, I want to um, uh, analyze this particular point or this particular data stream or those particular data streams, and then it will just go and analyze it. And similar with the visual the visualytics component would actually then provide a picture of whatever it is that you're doing. So the, on a programmable basis, that's kind of how you, you would uh, use it. Another uh, maybe um, another good example is the installation of a VAV. Right? So a VAV in, in the future we see as uh, also including this stack. Right? And uh, obviously a VAV, there's less, um, there's less um, programming involved because the the logic of a BAB is, is pretty narrowly sort of um, uh, defined. And in this case, uh, there may be just different um, uh, different uh, parameters, different maybe different um, uh, temperature sensors that need to be uh, consumed by the VAB. Uh, and again, uh, the, 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 the metadata takes care of all of that. And in, and in one instance, it may actually just have one temperature sensor coming to the, uh, to the VAB or a similar device. In another instance, it may have uh, two or one or two or three, whatever it is. And one of the, the magic of the, uh, uh, the data model uh, and the, the way we've actually implemented is that the, the, the logic that's driving this within the stack can actually self-regulate its logic depending on the input and output that's available on the device itself. Right? So that's the, that's the part that actually simplifies the, um, the, the process of uh, installing. Uh, a device. Mm -hmm. Do you want to add to that? 
Does, does that uh, answer your question, Jim? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and we, we have done some previous webinars on Project Haystack. So if people want to learn about that, then they can they can go back and and and, and look at that. As as Anto said, it's very interesting semantic data model and um, pretty powerful. And, and again, open source. So the more people that we can add tagging data information to that, then uh, the more powerful it becomes. Um, I noticed as well that it, it's built on, you see here, secured Linux operating systems. So it's, it's, it's sort of open source from the ground up, right? You, you've, you, you've built this stack using um, open, open standards. Is that right? It, yeah, it's, it's, I would say it's predominantly open, um, open source. It's not open source. It's not all open source. Okay. Um, um, so, you know, one one piece there, the the SkySpark component is obviously not open source, and the data engine which we had to provide is not necessarily open source. And but the a lot of the really key components, such as Sedona and, and Haystack and and others that we don't even list there, obviously Linux is one of them, um, are, are open source. And this is, I think, a, a typical thing that you see in in applications or in systems today. If you actually look at the even Windows or a Mac or uh, applications that run on those kind of um, um, platforms as well as apps on your phone, um, they they would include a significant amount of uh, open source, and so that's that's how um, uh, things get made these days. Right, absolutely. Build on these 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 common standards, right? Uh, and I know. I want to just sort of uh, just make one point about BACnet. I mean, BACnet is um, a key component of building automation system, and, and we we clearly need uh, have BACnet as uh, a key part of how the stack will work. Jim, I don't know, if you know more about BACnet than anybody else. I'm sure. The only comment I'd like to make is uh, we're trying to foster a close collaboration uh, between the BACnet world, the BACnet committee, and the uh, Haystack effort. So we're uh, we're very much uh, hoping to uh, see some good cooperation come out of that on the on the tagging side. Right, absolutely. Uh, the question here: um, What revision of BACnet is being used in the Anchor DOS? What revision? Well, I think they mean what version. Well, I mean, I think that uh, BACnet is a uh, is a uh, continuously evolving technology. So there's a, a standing standards product uh, project committee within ASHRAE. Uh, so I would frame it as uh, uh, BACnet as a whole uh, is uh, is being updated, and there are different addenda being added. Uh, but uh, I, I, I'd have to let uh, you guys speak to what's in the stack here. Well, I mean, I from from a product uh, strategy perspective, uh, my answer will be that we have to install the, um, the whatever's currently being done, um, the, the sort of the current uh, release or the current available uh, standard. But more importantly, I think the, the future of it, uh, there's a lot of work, as Jim mentioned, going on in, in the BACnet uh, committee, especially uh, bringing, bringing in sort of IT perspective and security perspective I think a lot of people know that there, there, you know, there's some challenges there that needs to be done, and that's being addressed by the BACnet um, community, let's say. And um, part of what we're doing with with AnchorDOS is to make sure that uh, we we stay um, um, in in front of uh, all of the, that that work, 
you want to add anything, Alper? Yeah, so uh, as Jim said, um, the BACnet will be utilizing the Haystack tags and uh, we will be mapping the BACnet to the project Haystack and that way the getting the data into Sedona or to SkySpark would be a seamless process. And just one, one uh, point, um, uh, you know, just to clarify this, this stack and this, um, the, the, this product as it was uh, anchored us. Uh, this is an ongoing, we've, we've essentially only just started this, um, uh, started to roll this out. Sure. Uh, we've, we've been working on this for quite some time. Um, one of the things that happened this week also is that we actually released the alpha test version of, uh, of this stack. Um, to um, a, a close, um, a small and, and close um, uh, number of people to, to test it. That's mm -hmm. kind of what we need to do. And we need, we'll go through a beta test and then we'll uh, release it uh, probably sort of mid-year. Okay. Uh, so it's still, and, and you know, one, one, my last comment on this is that we obviously would welcome any, any, um, any of the people um, viewing this uh, webinar to actually reach out to us with any specific questions or any specific suggestions, because we want this to be, uh, although it's our, our, our obviously our product and our stack, we want this to be something that um, a lot of other people contribute to and, and, and use. And there's, there's, there's other sort of um, ways that people can, um, can be involved um, with, with this uh, the development of the stack and the rollout of the stack. Sure, because I can I see here that, it, that there will be an application stores and other licensed technologies there, so you'll be able to add to this and and and, and produce customized things yep. applications. Um, yep. And again, I guess if if people want to test this, it's something that they can contact you about um, if they're interested when when you're ready for that. Uh, absolutely. Good. Absolutely. Uh, got a bunch of questions coming, so. Um, um, I'll, I'll get on and ask you guys the, uh, what's come in. Uh, someone here asking, how might IBM, Google, Microsoft, and large consultancy and integration firms benefit from an open, transparent DDC ecology? Um, if it is in their interests, um, would they be best partners for selling the vision to building owners at the C-level? Uh, and is it time to start selling DDC and relevant services to the C level, specifically CIO. Any thoughts on that, guys? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that the conversation needs to move uh, to the C level, especially in some of these fundamental business processes like building a new building. You know, the problem that you've run into historically is that people have been uh, myopically focused on energy value propositions. And if you look at most large organizations in the world, energy is 1% of what they do. So if we can save 20% of 1%, uh, we've immediately put ourselves down into irrelevancy. When the larger story is not just an energy only story. And I think people are, uh, are waking up to that. There's a very compelling energy story, by the way, for what we do, uh, but really, raising things up so that we can explore some of these other value propositions uh, like productivity, uh, comfort, etc. cetera. Uh, I think it's very important. And I do believe that uh, some of these large organizations can change that story, uh, but it's actually not necessarily the tech companies that need to change the story. It's more uh, consulting companies, people that would be 
selling uh, business process re-engineering. So I would look at that class of companies, uh, the large consulting companies, who could, by changing the way accounting is done, changing the way procurement especially is done. You know, today we have a, a system uh, where almost everything is competitively bid. And in the day when we were working with commodity-ish uh, items, that made a lot of sense. Now we're trying to competitively bid professional services. And I'd ask anyone out on the call, uh, are you going to go low bid your brain surgeon? answer is no. So if you were to replumb the IT system in your entire campus or your entire enterprise, how much uh, budget would be allotted to the IT department to do that? The budget allotted in the building automation world is zero. There is no line item for any of this technology in any of the business process that's out there today. So as our business transmutes into IT, we face the same problems without any of the resource to fix it. All we have is a race to the bottom, low bid process, uh, which basically solves no one's problems. So lose, lose. Mm. So I think that will be, if you look at business process re-engineering as, as the change agent, uh, rather than the uh, pixie dust from the, the usual IT suspects, I think that's, that's where it's at. And to, yeah. to tie that into the technology part of it right, and the, the, the rationale for creating this, this stack um, is, Jim is absolutely correct, all of the, the discussion and the evolution, especially at the C-suite level, executive level, needs to be about business and value and, and all that kind of stuff. And that obviously is why we did the, the, the New Deal. That's the, the, whole, the whole deal about the New Deal. Uh, but when you, when, you, when you think about it that way, then there has to be some stability and some standards, sort of use the, the small s for that, um, in terms of how, um, how we're programming things, how we're buying things, how the, the sort of um, stack, the software, software stack that exists in the systems, in the, especially in the, DDs, in, the, uh, in the edge devices. Right? And it's, it's kind of like if you, if you think about the, the typical IT system or the typical sort of decisions that CTOs and CIOs need to make um, in their daily lives in the sort of uh, uh, enterprise kind of systems. You know, it would be chaos if there were, you know, uh, dozens of different operating systems and dozens of different um, uh, ways that you connect to um, uh, the network, if there were dozens of standards, if HTML didn't exist, for example, if uh, that it, if Windows didn't exist, if something like Word and other things didn't exist. So we have to sort of simplify that. Yep, right? absolutely. I think some, some excellent points there you've both made and um, kind of reminded me about one of the points you made right at the start, data is the new gold. I think obviously what you're doing here and what Jim talked about is, you know, if we can, if we can get the data out of these systems, then it can really add value to uh, to companies and, and what they're doing and, and we need to be able to sell that sell these concepts to the C the C level. Um, what I've some technical questions here. I hope that's okay for you guys. Um, number one, um, is the product tested in by BTL? Not something I'm aware of, but do you know what that means? Yeah. Uh, BTL is the uh, backnet testing laboratories. Okay. Uh, started by uh, the BACnet Manufacturers Association, which I founded many years ago, which is now called BACnet International. And uh, 
the uh, it's a good question. It's a, it, it's it's a good question. The the BTL is a compliance testing organization which tests products for compliance to the BACnet standard. Uh, in addition to that, BACnet testing exists in interoperability workshops where different customer uh, companies come together and test their products collaboratively. So we're testing for both compliance through the uh, BTL as well as interoperability through these interoperability bake-offs. And uh, that's what BACnet testing is all about. And as, as BACnet is only uh, one component of, uh, of this ANCA uh, uh, stack, I would say that it, it usually is not the purview of the software supplier to do those tests. But the final manufacturer typically submits their products uh, to those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So typically, uh, uh, when when Symmetric sells a BACnet stack, uh, we've had many, many customers over the years run that stack through compliance testing, but we ourselves don't test the stack for compliance. It's tested in the final products. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Just to, just to um, raise one point that uh, I think Jim uh, mentioned is that the, the intent of AnchorDOS, the intent of this stack, is for this to be licensed to be used by many different um, uh, manufacturers, vendors of either control systems or package um, uh, mechanical systems, right? So I, I don't, I'm not sure I, we made that clear earlier. Okay. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks. Uh, uh, next question, uh, maybe one for Alpha here. Um, what are the minimum requirements of an appropriate uh, device, i.e. CPU, for, to run AnchorDOS? Uh, currently, we have prototype as a reference model devices. Um, uh, it, it has one, gig, uh, one gigahertz ARM processor with 512 gram is sufficient. So um, any of the new modern um, makers' devices are uh, sufficient to run this. So it's, it's, it, it requires a microprocessor, not a microcontroller, uh, for it to run. Okay, great. Uh, maybe we could um, go forward a couple of slides to more of the, the system diagram. Yeah, here we go. Um, question here, um, somebody saying that security is a, a big concern for them. Uh, maybe you guys could could talk a little bit to um, you know how how your system um, operates in terms of you know you know you know have you baked security into into it and if so um, how do you, how do you envisage that working? Uh, security is is a um, is is a concern and we're tackling it in uh, starting from the operating system and keeping the application uh, only in a, a readable only area. Uh, other than that, uh, all the communication that goes northbound uh, is encrypted. That is another uh, security uh, feature that we added. The last security feature that we are implementing is over-the-air updates with an encrypted uh, keychain and um, all and the applications that will run within the Ancados will have to have keys uh, for it to run uh, so that uh, we are um, implementing those uh, features uh, as a way to keep data uh, uh, and also applications that are running on the system being uh, protected. Okay, yeah. Um, 
Another question here, um, Ankados system uh, for Project Haystack, can we interchange components uh, below it, for example, data analytics, uh, facilities, connects? So I, I, I guess the question is, is how flexible, yeah, they are the, uh, the stack? Um, well, the, the flexibility uh, is here. The flexibility is in the, in the App Store component part, right? So right. we've made the that the stack, the core stack is what you see here because those are the things that um, are needed and those are the products and the technologies that we know work really well, right? Um, but if somebody, um, and, and so, and by creating the app framework, then um, other um, vendors of uh, other applications or um, or core technologies such as um, um, analytics can can create um, an application that will plug into Ankados that will work um, in, in many ways the same way as uh, something like Skyspark. Right? So it'll be it'll be at an equivalent level. And so that's that's exactly why we've done this. So we're, we're starting from a good starting point, but we're making it um, flexible so other people can can develop their own uh, applications that can go into into the uh, into the stack. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's um, a question here as well. Uh, what is the the anchor optimizer uh, at the bottom of the app framework? Um, what is it that's that's being optimized? Um, what we are thinking on that is that um, there is real time data that we control by DDC, and we are doing analytics in SkySpark. Uh, there will be applications in future that will automatically consume uh, the analytics results and optimize. And um, they, they, th those app frameworks will be, um, will be third party or we, we, we are looking into partnering up with other companies to come up with strategies to close the loop between uh, control and analytics. I think that the point there is that by creating an app store, we we will automatically create a, an ecosystem of app developers. And you know, if we do this well, then all sorts of innovation, all, all sorts of all sorts of technology can be created by people all over the world to actually plug into this and um, uh, provide a, a, a channel for them to um, uh, expose and implement and. Uh, uh, put to market, um, bring to market their, their solutions that can go um, essentially to the global market. So, because right, it, it looks like, I mean, from what my limited, you know, technological uh, eyes, that it's um, that it's very customizable. So, I mean, we talked a lot about uh, HVAC, BA, breathing automation, but I, I could imagine this could be used in, in other areas of building controls as well. Yep. Yeah, and maybe we could just go onto the systems diagram again. Uh, what interested me, and I, I know we talked about this uh, before, about this sort of um, the, the old way of doing things through this gateway gateway system. I mean, I, I mean, what we're talking about here is essentially um, getting rid of that, right? We, we, it, it's a, quite a quite a change we're talking about from the old architecture. Yeah, so it's getting rid of it. And it's not getting rid of it, right? Let me explain. Yeah. It's getting rid of it from the point of view of a piece of hardware, right? And a piece of hardware 
involves not just purchasing it but installing it, maintaining it over the years, updating and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But in in many ways, a lot of the applications, a lot of the a lot of gateways and supervisory sort of devices that exist today actually do, does something that will continue to uh, to be needed, right? And so the our sort of way of looking at it is that that's where apps come in. So whatever whatever was needed to happen in gateways and any kind of other boxes basically gets turned into software that will be installed in one or more of these uh, devices. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the, it's just changing, I guess, where the intelligence in the system kind of lies. Of course, we're talking here about the edge. We're moving intelligence to the edge. And, and, and moving it from hardware to software, which goes to how things are happening in the rest of the IT um, universe. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're we're coming towards the end now, guys. So, if anyone has any final questions for for uh, the panel here, then please uh, put them in now. Um, I was going to ask Jim, um, what's what's going to be the going up on the New Deal blog? Is there um, what kind of articles can can we expect? Well, we've uh, we have a series of articles already written, uh, some about uh, interoperability, uh, the digital twin. Uh, business models. Uh, so there's uh, there's quite a collection of, uh, of great articles there already. Uh, an excellent one that uh, Therese uh, Sullivan just uh, published. Uh, but uh, Anto's just uh, put it up on the screen. Mm -hmm. uh, so there are a great series of articles. Uh, we intend to add links to the new CABA white paper. And uh, coming soon, there'll be a series of articles uh, discussing procurement uh, in the industry and uh, what some of the problems are and what some of the resolutions to those problems are. Right, I mean, that could be a whole new uh, webinar, couldn't it? <laughs> I know Absolutely. we've talked about that before, and as you said, I think at the start, that's something that, that we could, as an industry, do a much better job of, of bringing that together, the, the whole how, how equipment and is, is bought on a contractual level and et cetera. And but the, the tone of uh, all of the articles, and this is part of the, kind of editorial process that we go through. The tone of it has to be uh, and will continue to be a focus on business issues and targeted at executives and, and C-levels. So you're not going to see an art, uh, you're not going to see an article here discussing the, the you know, the depth of some technology, um, you know, comparison or whatever. That's not the place for this. It's more, it's very much on um, the business side and the value proposition side of things. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, um, any final thoughts from you guys before we, we, we wrap this up? I just wanted to uh, thank you for having us on, and uh, we look forward to continuing the dialogue. And once again, uh, if anyone has perspectives, primarily on the business side, that they'd like to contribute, uh, we'd welcome them as contributors on the New Deal. Great. And I will um, I'll make sure we put up links to, to the blog and also the, the CABA white paper you, you mentioned as well. One last thing about um, how we're taking Ankados to market. Uh, obviously, our target is to put these into a lot of OEM uh, devices. But one of the things that we, we are going to do um, to get this out there is we, we will create a community edition of Ankados uh, that when, obviously, once it's all tested and everything else, will be available uh, for free download uh, for anybody to use um, on, you know, very, very low cost um, Beaglebone Raspberry Pi kind of class device. 
So look out for that. That'll be a really good way of people to start to understand what this is all about and start to uh, prepare for their, their future in the data-centric um, world of uh, um, BAS. Yeah, absolutely. Where can they go for, for more information? Do you guys um, have a website? Yeah, there's uh, anchorlabs.com. Um, right now, there's not much on it um, because we're focused on, um, you know, obviously focused on the technology work, uh, but that'll be the, the where everything happens. Great. Okay. So again, I'll, I'll, I'll put a link to that. Uh, yeah, well, look, just reminds me to say thanks very much. Really appreciate um, the three of you taking the time. Uh, and um, yeah, and I hope you enjoy the rest of AHR. How much, how much is left now? Just today. Okay. Well, well, good luck. Hope you hope it all goes well. And thanks to everyone. Thank you, Jim. Thanks, Jim. Thank you for having us. Thanks for everyone for listening. Um, again, we've recorded this, so I'll be posting uh, the audio on uh, SoundCloud uh, and also be available on iTunes um, and and YouTube as well. So uh, yeah, if anyone wants um, wants to listen again, you can find us there. Thanks again, and uh, look forward to seeing you next uh, next month. Bye bye. Bye bye.